Hey guys, I'm your host, Tara A. Devlin, and welcome to this week's episode of Koobana, true Japanese scary stories from around the internet. The latest volume of Koobana, volume 11, is now out. This volume has over 80 different stories of creepy ghosts, abandoned buildings, frightening monsters, haunted locales, and much, much more, so do check it out right now. We also have a brand new design up in the Koobana merchandise store. You can check that out at koabana.store. We have shirts, mugs, stickers, masks, and much more, so do check it out and help support the show at the same time. This week, we're looking at some weird and creepy stories to keep the chills flowing as the new year begins. I hope you all had a good one. To start, a woman's friend moves into a new house she was able to rent for cheap because of its location. And where would that be? Right next to a graveyard, of course. And it's not long until things take a turn for the worse. Find out why in House Near the Graveyard. When I was in my early 20s, one of my friends moved house, and so I went to visit her to celebrate. It was an old house, and my honest first reaction when I saw it was, it's really old. My kids are small now, but I'm sure the house will start to feel smaller in the future. By then, I hope I can get my own place, she said. Maybe it was just my imagination, but when she said that, she honestly looked kind of worn out. I glanced out the window and suddenly saw a graveyard. It was hardly the most pleasant view, and my friend was apparently hesitant about moving because of it as well. But it does mean that the rent's super cheap, she said with a smile. Still, having a graveyard so close greatly bothered me. But what bothered me even more was the noise. I thought it was a quiet residential area, but I could constantly hear voices. It was summer. Maybe all the neighbours had their windows open, I thought. But still, it was incredibly noisy so I asked my friend about why. Isn't it a little noisy around here? Huh? I don't think so. It is hot though, she answered, looking at me strangely. Something didn't feel right. I could hear so many voices. Not just a few people, but it was loud like a festival. I looked in the direction of the voices, and they were coming from the graveyard. I pretended to look fine in front of my friend, but inside, I was not okay. I couldn't help but think that, maybe… I tried to come up with a good excuse, like maybe there was a gathering over there, but it was obvious that wasn't the case. Obon was still a while away, so there was no reason for so many people to gather in a graveyard. I could hear the voices of men and women, young and old even the cries of babies. The voices were of all ages and genders, and yet I couldn't make out exactly what they were saying. It sounded like small talk, but also like they were upset about something. There was both laughter and crying, and it was just like a flood of voices. Unable to bear it any longer, I decided to leave. And once I was away from her house, the voices stopped. I noticed that my fingers were trembling, so it seemed I was even more frightened than I thought. 
For a while after that, I was afraid that I might hear those voices again. My friend looked worn out. Maybe something was affecting her, I thought. But what was I supposed to say to her? It wasn't like she heard anything, and she was happy to rent the place. I started to think that I'd just be bothering her by mentioning it to her. I was the only one who heard the voices. What if I told her but she didn't believe me? I debated what to do for several days, but in the end, I couldn't just ignore it. About a month later, I phoned my friend and told her everything. Her answer surprised me. I knew it. In reality, she had noticed the changes to both herself and her family. She became tired easily, and she was too depressed to do anything. Not only that, but her newborn hadn't stopped crying since they moved in, and she wasn't sure what to do. She spoke to her husband after that, and thankfully, they decided to move. The next time I took her a housewarming gift, I was greeted by the bright smile my friend always used to have. This time, she moved into a quiet residential area with no cemetery. Although the cheap rent might be enticing, you really should be careful about the places you move into. The man in this next story unloads containers for a living, but you would be surprised at some of the things they find in there. Things you'd no doubt much rather not see. Find out why in Container. Thirteen or fourteen years ago now, I worked briefly unloading containers at a port in Kansai. When I say unloading, I mean literally removing the contents of the containers. The actual loading and unloading of the containers themselves, as well as the stuff inside them, was done by cranes, forklifts, and other machines. But taking the stuff out of them was done the old-fashioned way, by hand. These containers were packed to the brim and weighed anywhere from two to four tons, and we had to take everything inside of them out. Although there was occasionally lightweight stuff, most of the time it was heavy, like drinks, livestock feed, and the like. There were two or three containers to unload a day, and sometimes, in the blazing heat of summer, if you accidentally hit a box of detergent, then you'd be covered in it. It was hell. Not only was the job itself tough, but the location wasn't very nice either. The port had a bit of a shady history with the Yamaguchi Gumi, and most of the people who worked there were a little rough around the edges. In fact, one of the people working there at the time used to be a former Yakuza member. One day, after my break, I went over to a container that was to be unloaded that afternoon. The warehouse foreman was looking at something in the back before he came out, and then he went straight over to the forklift driver, W-san, and started talking to him. What's wrong? Yeah, it's in there. This is bad. He was talking about the stuff we had to unload that afternoon. The container was packed tight, all the way from the floor to the ceiling and from one end to the other. So what on earth was in there? The two men, who were some of the toughest on the site, fell silent, and so I shut my mouth too and didn't ask. In the end, the container was closed, 
Unloading was cancelled that afternoon, and they never told us why. A few days later, I had a chance to ask another warehouse employee, Ysan, about it. According to him, when Wsan opened the door, something moved. When he peeked through a tiny gap near the ceiling, he saw what looked like a face lying at the rear of the container near the roof. It looked human, although it appeared warped, perhaps crushed by the weight of the cargo. I asked him if maybe it could have been an animal, but he said there was no way. It doesn't happen often, but every now and then we see something like this. I was eating dinner once and I saw this businessman with only one leg suddenly burst out of a container we'd just finished unloading. Y-san gave a bitter laugh and said this was the second time for W-san. But when such things happened and they opened the containers again, of course, nothing was inside. Container doors are generally sealed with rivets and you need a large nipper-like tool to twist them off to get the doors open. All the containers came from overseas, and of course, they were sealed before they left their port of origin. When unloading the containers, we always made sure to clean the insides, and sometimes we came across unknown flowers or bugs. So, whatever those things were, they must have gotten mixed up somewhere over the ocean far away. On my way home one day, I heard two loud bangs coming from the inside of a container. Everyone who was there at the time froze on the spot, and even now, I still remember us all standing there and just looking at it. I quit on the spot and refused to ask about it, but perhaps the seal on that container must have been left on. A family home with a long history. Mysterious footsteps in the night. What would you do if you were warned not to open the door? Perhaps it's a warning you really should heed. Find out why in Mysterious Footsteps. Apparently, my family used to be quite prominent in the past, and we lived in Kyoto until I was a junior high student. Apparently, my great-grandfather rebuilt our family home during the Meiji era, and it was a two-story Western-style home, with all the bedrooms on the second floor. As such, that's where everyone slept. Everyone in our family went to bed early, and got up early as well, but one night, I was unable to get to sleep. Sometime after 3am, I suddenly heard the sound of footsteps in the hall that stopped right in front of my bedroom door. However, there was no knock, nor did whoever it was make any attempt to enter, so I ignored it. But then, the more I thought about it, the stranger it seemed. As I'm sure most of you are already aware, you can usually tell who is walking down the hall by their footsteps, right? But this was the first time I'd ever heard these footsteps. Frightened, I put the blankets up over my head and fell asleep just like that. The next morning, I told my older brother about what happened the night before, and he looked relieved. You heard it too? But no matter what, you mustn't open the door, okay? This made me curious, so I asked him why. Look, just keep it to yourself, and whatever you do, don't open the door. 
but I didn't hear the footsteps again after that night. And, to tell you the truth, the day after I spoke to my brother about what happened, he died in a traffic accident. My father didn't like to talk about what happened, so we never did. But last year, my father passed away as well. On the day of his wake, my older sister suddenly came over to me and started talking about it. Ever since that night, I always made sure to be asleep by midnight, so I never noticed anything. But according to my sister, she had been hearing the footsteps for a long time, much longer than me, and on the night I heard them, she heard the door to our brother's room open. The very next day, he died in a bike accident. This frightened her terribly, but rather than talking about it, she always just hid under her blanket and waited for the footsteps to pass. But that night, our brother probably made the mistake of opening the door when he heard the footsteps. And with everything that happened, she was too scared to ever talk to me about it. What did our brother see that night? Even now, it's still a mystery. The only thing I do know is that my mother said our grandparents never left their rooms after midnight. She was also curious when she married my father and asked about it, but apparently he just said, We go to bed early here. And that was that. A mother fears that her child might one day have an accident at a crossing near their house and as such, decides to take matters into her own hands. But does she end up creating something even more terrifying in return? Find out in... Road with Good Visibility. My aunt told me this story a long time ago, but I still think about it regularly even now. I've heard that writing things down can help you clear your head of it, so that's what I'm going to do. When my cousin was in elementary school, there was just one thing my aunt was worried about, and that was the pedestrian crossing he used on the way to and from school. She was afraid that an accident might happen there sometime. The crossing was on a road only used by locals, and the visibility was fine as well. But it was because of that good visibility that drivers often continued speeding and didn't pay attention to pedestrians. As such, my aunt had witnessed many close misses there over the years. Parents were on duty in the mornings as children walked to school, but because they often returned home at different times, there was no one to watch them in the afternoons. My aunt tried complaining to the school and city hall about how dangerous that spot was, but they didn't listen. And so, my aunt and some of the other parents came up with an idea. They placed a bouquet of flowers at the crossing, making it look like someone had died there. And the effects were immediate. Whenever cars saw the flowers, they naturally slowed down, and pedestrians actually using the crossing were more careful about looking both ways before walking as well. My aunt and all her friends celebrated the success of their plan, but it wasn't long until they noticed something strange. Lots of elementary school students started getting a headache when they used the crossing, and some even refused to go to school because of it. The school took the situation very seriously and immediately changed the route to another road. There wasn't a single child nor parent who complained. 
My aunt then went back to the crossing early one morning so that nobody would see her retrieve the flowers. However, the flowers were already gone, and in their place, someone had placed an even bigger bouquet. She went home empty-handed. She checked with her friends who were complicit in the plan, but none of them had any idea what was going on. And so, my aunt stopped going near that crossing as well. About three months later, my uncle asked my aunt for some advice, not something he usually did. Unlike my aunt, he really didn't like the occult. It wasn't that he was afraid, he just didn't like it. He didn't like people who told such stories, and he didn't believe in it at all. This was why she never told him about the flowers. My uncle ran a local transport business. It might sound nice to say he was the company president, but in reality, he was just a subcontractor for a larger company and had 10 employees working beneath him. He was also a driver himself. My aunt knew that he was tired at the time, but she thought it was just because it was the busy season. Anyway, Kita-san, who was in charge of organising the employees for that day, asked my uncle for a favour. He and some of the other workers had put together some money, and they bowed their heads as they asked him to please organise a cleansing ceremony. Everyone at work knew that he hated talk like that, but still, they begged him. Kita-san was also a year older than my uncle, so for him to make such a request meant that it really was a serious situation. But, despite everything, my uncle wasn't so stubborn as to refuse their heartfelt request. He was, however, disappointed they asked in the first place. And the site they wanted cleansed? that crossing where the flowers had been placed near their house. My uncle drove past it daily, and each time he did, his nerves felt fried. He had no idea why, but every single time he drove past it, he felt like something bad was going to happen. He wondered if something might suddenly run across, or maybe there was something behind the truck, but whenever he checked his mirrors, there was nothing. For a while, he thought he was simply imagining things, but when he realised all the other drivers felt the same way, all the energy drained from his body. They promptly held a cleansing ceremony, and then my uncle never spoke of it again. A father and son head out to the beach after work one day, but decide to stop at a nearby spot of interest on the way home. While there, they see something they really, really shouldn't have something that will change their lives forever. Find out what in Black Lumps. This is a story from when I was in the second grade of elementary school, right as the end of the summer holidays were approaching. My father and I went to the beach together. Not to go swimming. My father had a bit of free time from work, and so I joined him. On the way, he looked at the car navigation and said, apparently there's a recommended spot just up ahead. My father liked using the car navigation to find new places to visit, so he often used it to gather information. It seemed he'd done a little digging beforehand this time, and so we got out of the car and made our way towards the spot. When we got there, 
there was a small hill amongst some mountains, with something like an observation deck with benches at the top. These days, I think it would have been a great location for a date, but at the time, I was just a kid. There wasn't exactly much to do there, but the view was great, and the atmosphere pleasant. I sat down on the bench to rest when my father suddenly spoke. Hey, what do you think that is over there? He pointed to something in the distance. I could definitely see something, but it was too far away to tell what. Want to check it out? I'm intrigued, he said, standing up and walking in that direction. I got up and followed him. A short while later, a cave or something came into view. It looked kind of like an old air raid shelter. There was no door at the entrance and it was too dark to see inside, but next to it was a sign that said, No Entry, and there was rope tied across it as well. But my father ignored it and stepped inside. At that very moment, a strong wind blew from inside. Wah! My father suddenly screamed. Three things came tumbling out of the cave. They were balls, the exact same size as a human head, and they were pure black and smooth, and they all rolled in sync in the same direction. What the hell? My father muttered. Do you want to go after them? I asked. No, I have a bad feeling about all this. Let's go home, he said, and we decided to leave. But on the way back, we saw those three black lumps again. We stopped and held our breaths, and I clung to my father's clothes in fear. He remained silent the entire time. Then, the three black lumps slowly started to move. They appeared to be floating in the air, and they were getting smaller and smaller. Within a minute, they were almost invisible to the naked eye. I barely even had a chance to feel relieved when, this time, Something that looked like three long sticks rose out of the ground. Looking closer, they appeared to be in the shape of a human hand. And then they got rapidly longer and longer. Next was an arm, then a shoulder, then a head. Finally, a whole body appeared. Next thing I knew, three naked women stood before us. They looked young and they smiled in our direction. Strangely, the fear I had just felt was entirely forgotten. On the contrary, now I felt calm and relaxed. The women walked towards us. Then, when they stood right in front of us, my father spoke. Who are you? The women smiled. We are not of this world, one of them said. And then they disappeared. Looking back on it now, I can't help but think that it was all a dream, but I haven't been able to get the image of them out of my head, even now. And while it might not be related, my father went missing shortly after that encounter. I only vaguely remember that place, and I've been searching for it again ever since that day, but I've never been able to find it. The man in this next story enjoys fishing, and after some heavy rainfall, heads to his favourite spot. But there's something different about the area this time, and it's potentially going to cost him his life. Find out why in... The Day the River Calls. 
This story happened a while ago. I enjoy mountain stream fishing, and I often visited some headwaters near where I live to do so. This spot was about a 30-minute drive away, but the water was nice, not too rapid, and I didn't feel like I was in any danger, even if I went there alone. I went there one day in March after some rare heavy rainfall. After getting out of the car, I had to cross over a check dam to reach my first point. As I was walking, I looked over the top of the check dam and saw a large deer. Normally, it would run away at the sight of people, but on this day, it didn't so much as budge. When I reached the bottom, I sadly saw a fawn that had likely slipped and was already long gone. Perhaps that deer up the top was its parent. The parent then disappeared into the forest with a sad look on its face. I put my hands together in prayer for the fawn and then continued on my way. I don't know whether it was because I had just witnessed the grim reality of nature so suddenly or whether it was because of the grey clouds above, but my footsteps felt oddly heavy that day. Once I reached my fishing spot, I took out my rod and got to work. Somehow, despite a heavy rain having fallen the night before, there were no other fishermen in sight. This was a rare fishing spot where you could even catch jumping fish. Usually the conditions were so good that you could always see them, but on this day, there were none. Odd. I also tripped over nothing and got my feet caught in roots, got scratched by tree branches, and slipped on rocks, amongst other things. At the time, I thought it was all because of the rain the day before, but looking back on it now, it was like something was warning me, telling me, don't go any further. My right knee and my buttocks were bruised, but still, I kept fishing. I guess it was just in a fisherman's nature to keep moving forward. A little more. Just a little more. Gotta reach Nidan Fuchi. Nidan Fuchi was a perfect fishing spot surrounded by large bedrock. By the time I got there, I also had cuts on my right elbow and hand as well. But when I finally arrived, I sighed in relief. The water had risen a little, but otherwise, nothing looked different to usual. Or at least, that was how it should have been. But something was wrong. The atmosphere around the deep water was different to usual. Normally, a nice breeze blew downstream, but today, there was nothing. The jumping fish were also hiding, and there was no signs of life in the water. On top of that, it was strangely silent. I couldn't hear a single bird. It was all a little too strange, but I had come all this way, and so I pulled out my fishing rod. As expected, I didn't get a single bite. But just as I was about to call it a day, I saw a fish jump out of the water at the upper end of Nidamfuchi. To get there, I'd have to go around a large rock on the left-hand side of the stream. It wasn't dangerous to do so, so I decided to try my luck there, before finally going home. When I cast my rod, I got a bite immediately. It was huge. I reeled it in carefully. It was a char, bigger than 50 centimetres long. But having said that, it was rather skinny. I'd seen char after they'd laid their eggs, but this one was even more emaciated than that. Food was bountiful in the area, and I'd never seen a fish looking this skinny before. It was time to go home. 
I returned the fish to the water and put my rod away. But as I turned around to leave, the path was gone. The path I had just taken was now nothing but mossy stones and old trees blocking the way, like they'd been there for decades. Starting to panic, I looked for another way out. I followed the rocks on the left side of the stream going back down, and it seemed I'd be able to return that way. Without hesitation, I jumped onto the rocks, and watching my step, made my way back downstream. Before long, I heard a voice call out above me. Hey! I stopped walking and looked up, but I couldn't see anyone on the cliff. I walked back a little to get a better look, and grabbed a tree root hanging above my head. At that very moment. Hey! This time the voice came from behind me. And then the rock I was standing on crumbled and I lost my footing. With a loud crash, the rock tumbled into the deep water and I was left hanging in the air, holding onto the tree root. If I had let go, I would have gone tumbling with it. What a close call. When I returned to the sandy area above the deep water, my legs were shaking. My whole body was covered in goosebumps and I couldn't stop sweating either. That voice. I looked around, but I couldn't see anyone nearby. I then suddenly realised that the path I'd originally come up, the one that had just been blocked by rocks and old trees, was now back again. I wanted to get as far away from there as possible, so I ran as fast as I could back downstream. The next day, I told an elderly fishing master from nearby what happened. The river called out to you, he said. But the reason you are safe is because the mountain saved you. There are days where the river calls, and there are days when the mountain calls. Both are terrifying. On days like that, you shouldn't go too far in. I wish he had told me all of this sooner. We all have our hobbies, and the man in this next story enjoys collecting rare stones. Just how rare are they? Find out in Rare Stone Collector. This happened when I was a university student and working part-time at a fast food restaurant. We had a senior staff member who would work for three months and then take three months off. Then he'd work for another three months, and so on and so on. The part-time leader didn't like him very much because he was so difficult to work around, but he was an acquaintance of the owner, so he didn't have much choice. I often worked with this man and personally I thought he seemed a little gloomy, but otherwise just a normal person. I often spoke to him when I was bored or if things were too quiet, and one day I asked him about what he did in his free time. I go on trips. Like overseas? No, in Japan. Do you visit famous tourist spots? I have absolutely no interest in that. So then you throw a dart at a map or something? Well, something like that. Do you just pick somewhere random and then have a look around once you get there? Hmm, I don't know. What exactly do you do there then? 
I collect stones. Like healing crystals, I collect those too. No, they're a little different to that. So, unpolished gems or minerals then? No. You don't happen to collect rare stones, do you? Yeah, I guess you could say that. Huh, no way. I was into collecting crystals at the time myself too. And so, that day I asked him to show me his stone collection after work. We finished cleaning up after midnight, and then we walked to his house. But then, something strange happened. As I was walking, my body suddenly felt listless, and my head grew heavy. I was extremely healthy as a kid, and never so much as caught a cold. I'd never been sick, nor injured before. So honestly, I had no idea what was happening to me at the time. At first, I walked bent over like a zombie, but even that got painful, and soon, I was almost crawling like a baby. My senior colleague looked at me with concern. I was also so confident in my physical strength that it wasn't even an option in my mind to ask for help. Looking back on it now, I can see that I was being stupid, but at the time, I couldn't think straight because I was panicking. But still, once we reached the parking lot of a convenience store, I stopped. I just remembered something I need to do, so maybe next time, I said. Yeah, that's probably a good idea, he replied, and then hurried away. In a worst case scenario, I could go into the store and ask them to call an ambulance, but five minutes after my colleague left, I was perfectly fine again. I thought about chasing after him, but then I decided against it. Six months passed. My senior colleague stopped coming into work, but nobody really took much notice of it, myself included. We thought that maybe he settled down somewhere else with another job. One day, the store manager asked if I could work the following day, my day off. I agreed. Come in at 4am, he said, and when I got there, he drove me to a three-storey apartment building about 15 minutes away. An elderly man with his arms crossed and a scowl on his face stood in front of the building, alongside an old woman with a troubled look on her face. Following the manager's lead, I bowed in greeting at the pair and then took the stairs to the third floor. The apartment on the corner was open. Inside was packed to the brim with black trash bags. The manager and I, both large men, carried the bags down to his car, sweating the whole time. When the car was full, we drove to the beach, carried the bags down to the water, and then tore them open, scattering the contents. I had already noticed while I was carrying them, but the bags were full of stones about the size of my palm. We brought all the bags out, which were packed even into the toilet and bathtub, and took them back to the beach. When we were finally done, the old man who watched over us was gone, leaving just the woman. The woman handed my manager an envelope and deeply bowed her head. I've known that asshole since we were in elementary school, but today marks the end of all that. He was bullied in junior high and it was around then that he started collecting stones from graveyards. At first, 
He rode around on his bicycle to collect them, but before long, he started taking the bus and train on his day off to visit new cemeteries and pick up stones from there. I still don't really get it, but he treated each stone preciously, like putting a note on each and every one of them saying what date and where he got it from. But then, at the same time, he'd just toss them all randomly into a bag. Once a bag was full, he'd tie it up and then start the next one, repeating the process over and over. In the end, not even the recycling store wanted to deal with it, even when I told them that I'd pay for it. Seriously, what a nuisance this guy was. Having said that, the manager then handed me the envelope without even looking inside. I checked for myself once I got home, and there was three months' worth of pay in there. And finally this week, a young boy's grandfather works as a stonemason for a living, and he receives a crumbling old Jizo statue to fix. But soon after that, things begin to take a turn for the worse. Find out why in... Repairing the Jizo Statue. My paternal family home is located deep in the mountains in the middle of nowhere, and my grandparents still live there. My grandfather is a stone dealer by trade, and I heard that all the tombstones and statues in the village were made by him. He was very proud of his craftsmanship, and he always took me out to see his works around the village whenever we went to see them. When I was a junior high student, we went to visit my grandparents' house during the summer holidays. It had been quite some time since we were there last, and when I got there, I saw some newspaper laid out, with a small Jizo statue I had never seen before sitting on top. I asked my grandmother about it, and she said that it came from a shrine near the local chamber of commerce. As the population of the village grew older, it seemed that people had neglected to look after the statue, and when Grandpa went to check on it, its arm had broken and fallen off. When he saw that, he got permission to bring it home and fix it himself. I'd never seen my grandfather work before, so I was extremely curious and joined him in his little workshop. He carefully wiped the statue with a cloth, and then did the same to the broken arm piece as well. The left arm had cracked and fallen off, while the right arm was cracked and looked like it might fall off at any moment too. Shall we reinforce the right arm too, he said, and then made some kind of glue. He lifted the statue to apply it, but then there was a cracking sound and the right arm fell off as well. The damage was apparently worse than he thought, so he said that setting it with cement would be better, and that was the end of work for the day. That night, my grandfather started acting strangely. He started saying his right shoulder was constantly stiff, and he kept moving it around to check for feelings of discomfort. My grandmother said it was the first time she'd ever heard him complain about his shoulder being sore. The next day, things got even worse. He said there was a strange sensation in his right arm, and that it was difficult to move it. Worried, my father took him to the hospital. They did various tests, but they were unable to find the cause of the pain. Things got worse after that, however, and in the end, my grandfather was unable to feel anything in his right arm at all, 
meaning he was unable to move it. Clearly, something was wrong, so he went back to the hospital. They did some more tests, and this time they investigated whether he might have had a stroke or not, but still, they couldn't find anything wrong. Considering the state my grandfather was in, he'd completely forgotten about the Jizo statue. But just a few days later, he brought it up again. I can't just leave it like that. I feel bad for it, he said. And so, under his instructions, my father and I repaired the Jizo statue for him. We put the two arms back on properly, and when it was done, we took it back to the shrine. That same night, my grandfather's right arm healed, like nothing had happened to it to begin with. He was able to move it perfectly again. Everyone was shocked, and we wondered if maybe the source of the abnormality was the Jizo statue. Perhaps it had misunderstood his intentions and injured him when he removed its arm. Because his arm returned to normal after the statue was repaired, its anger must have dissipated. In the end, that's just my guess, but I can't really find any other answers to explain what happened to him. And ever since then, I've always been a little afraid of Jizo statues when I see them. Don't forget to check out Kowabana Volume 11, out on Amazon right now. And check out our newly revamped merchandise store at kowabana.store. And if you'd like to chat about this week's stories, come and join us in the Kowabana Discord. You can find that link in the description or on kowabana.net. You can also check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Tara A. Devlin for exclusive bonus stories and extras, or our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Japan for all sorts of Japanese horror you won't find anywhere else. Thanks, guys. Stay safe, and I'll see you again next time for even more Kowabana, true Japanese scary stories from around the internet. Want even more scary stories? Head over to kowabana.net for new translations every week. You can also join our Patreon for exclusive stories you won't find anywhere else. Head over to kowabana.net now.